Welcome to Broadway Radio's Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Tiamanini. Here on Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered on theater podcasts. On today's episode, I speak with one of my favorite performers, Lauren Zacharin. Most theater fans originally became aware of Lauren as the 18-year-old finalist on the MTV reality show Legally Blonde the Musical, The Search for the Next Elle Woods. I think they've tinkered with that title since it aired, haven't they? Anyway, let me know. Anyway, in the 10 years since, she has gone on to understudy Glinda on the Wicked Tour, made her Broadway debut as the final Sherry and Rock of Ages, and then to perform in the original off-Broadway and Broadway productions of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, in which she understudied the title female role. Over the past year or so, she's had an interesting slate of projects, starting last winter playing Catherine in the off-Broadway run of Cruel Intentions of the Musical, then going immediately, literally, into the ensemble of Jesus Christ Superstar Live, and now she is playing Cheer Captain Riley in the off-Broadway musical We Are the Tigers. In the show, she rallies the girls for the annual team sleepover. However, the night takes a bloody, murderous turn. In our conversation, Lauren talks about the emotional toll auditioning can take, her unusual path to New York, and how We Are the Tigers threads the needle of being a cheerleader show and a murder mystery while still having a positive message. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Lauren Zacharin. Um, I, I'm seeing the show later this month, so. I, especially with the show of this nature, please don't spoil anything because I, I want to be, swept, of course, I'm sure that's a big part of, uh, of talking about this show. And I, I I'll admit I came of age in, in my teenage years, my formative years in the mid to late nineties. So when I first heard about this show before it was even a show, when it was a concert at Joe's pub, I was like, this feels so much like a movie that I grew up in. And I'm so excited um, about this what makes this show different? I mean, we've got we've had cheerleader musicals before, but not cheerleader musicals where people get murdered. Yes, um, it definitely pushes some boundaries uh, because you're not doing Bring It On and you're not doing Scream, but you're doing like this hybrid version of the two of them together. And then on top of that, you also tackle a, you know a handful of really meaningful adolescent issues that people go through in their teenage years. So you've got this sort of like mash of three extremely different genres. And then you've got girl rock anthem tying it all together. And somehow it works. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how does it work? How do you walk that line? Obviously, not only you as a performer, but the director and the writer. How do you pull all, you know, I'm sure Preston has had, you know, a lot of opportunity to kind of build those all together. So how do you mix those random disparate pieces of a show into something that feels organic and cohesive? It is tricky. It is tricky to find the tone when you're going in so many different directions. Uh, but I think like the safest way to approach it is just approach everything with truth. So even though you're going for this like heightened comedy that some people might consider camp, like the more you can keep it all in a place of just like grounded truthfulness, the more it'll like cohesively flow into those moments of like morality and teaching a lesson and, and touching on the darker issues that teenagers go through and then slipping back into the comedy. <laughs> you know, uh, you just have to try and keep your feet on the ground in order to tie it all together. Yeah. One, it's it, you mentioned Bring It On and Scream, two movies that don't have a ton and they, they aren't the first things that come to mind when you think of movies that are similar and you would think would be a good mashup, but they do come from a very <laughs> specific era of movies where they, they did feel like teen movies weren't just 
teen movies because they were fun and they were bubblegum and, and, you know, two cute kids ended up getting together. They they had a little more depth to them, both Bring It On and Scream were saying yeah. more um, in Cruel Intentions, which we'll get to, too. Um, but uh, they were saying more than just, you know, a, either a slasher flick or a bubblegum cheerleader film. And it sounds like you guys are yeah, bringing yeah. elements of those into this as well. We are trying to. I guess maybe because I'm older, I don't know a lot about what the teen movie genre is nowadays. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm less in touch with it. So maybe it ex- exists, maybe it doesn't. But it does seem like there was a time where there was this market to make these sort of lessons and stories translate to teens because you were packaging it in this, you know, sexy, risque, teenage movie thing. So like at that age, you wanted to see it because it felt like a little bad or like a little naughty, <laughs> but then you're still getting the lesson about how to treat other people with kindness or how to like discover, you know, who you really are as opposed to trying to be what everyone else wants you to be. I feel like those movies somehow made that work. I'm not sure if that's still happening anymore, is it? I don't know. Well, I think <laughs> in teen it, it, movies? Is that still a trend? I don't think so. And I think it kind of goes hand in hand. It, oddly enough, I spoke with um, uh, Lindsay Nicole Chambers from Chick Flick the Musical recently about how they don't make yes. the Chick Flicks from the 90s like they did either. And it's kind of like that same idea of the teen movies that I grew up on. And it sounds like you grew up on too. They just aren't the yeah, same yeah. anymore. And it's not necessarily, okay, I'm going to say it. It's bad. It's not, it's not as good. They were better in the nineties when we were growing up. Um, but it yeah. does seem like there's something missing there that, that wholesomeness wrapped in the velour of, of the sexiness and naughtiness that you said. Yeah. Well, everything's changed with technology and with sexuality and the way that we market all these things and all the high tech ways we present them as I, I guess a simple teenage move those morals like it just doesn't fly or it doesn't hold the attention anymore of people who have you know their iphones and they have all these ads with women and all these outfits and all you know the the blood and gore on television so maybe that's why they don't they're they're not fearing as well yeah it's a it's a completely different world and media landscape than it was even 15 20 years ago but um yeah yeah another thing that really interests me about this show is that as you look at this cast list obviously we know it's about cheerleaders um but it is of the what is it 10 people on stage every night nine of them are women that that is very rare um, in any kind of theater, just because so much of theater is built a lot of times, especially musicals around some sort of romance, but there's one dude in the whole show. That's got to be fairly exciting from a a female performer standpoint. Yes. I love it. I really love it. I really enjoy that. The dynamic is, is just how these, women are interacting and how they're problem solving together. Uh, There's like a light touch on Anne Lee's uh, relationship with her partner in the show, but the story is not about a man. So we're really passing the Bechdel test here. Um, And it's really cool. And not only that, you get to be in a room with nine other women who are really awesome. And, And that for me is like really spiritually healing and helpful to like be in a place where it's just about supporting each other and making the peace work. Yeah, and I want to come back to We Are the Tigers, but you mentioned being in a place that's spiritually supportive, and you you're very open about on social media about going on auditions and all this stuff. And you said something I think it was a week or so ago about how just emotionally and personally, I don't taxing might not be the word, but confusing it can be to put on all of these different roles as you start to go in for different shows. You know, sometimes multiple shows in one day, and I think that's something that 
theater fans at least understand conceptually like, oh, yeah, you've got to go and, you know, read these sides and do this thing and be this character for 15, 20 minutes, an hour, two hours, however long it takes. But I don't think people really understand that as an actor, as you go into the process and try to be a certain character for this audition to try to get a job, it's hard to jump in and out of those. Can you kind of explain the thought behind that post you made a week or so ago? Yeah, the way I approach every audition and every role I play is is not uh, not taken lightly. <laughs> I'm yeah. not just picking up the paper and, and reading it. I really am trying to put everything I can into the character so that they can see that I can represent what they're looking for. And I wish I was less emotionally invested. You know, we go, to, we go on hundreds of auditions. Uh, it's insane how many I go to and how often I hear no. And it can be really taxing <laughs> to just keep trying on all these different versions of yourself. Then walking into a room and saying, do you like this version of me? Am I, am I giving you what you want this to be? Can I do this for you? And you hear no, 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 no again. And the confusing thing for me now as I get older is, most of my life, I'm spending time putting on these different versions of myself, whether or not I'm, you know, going to a meeting at my agent's or a party after a show or an audition or a rehearsal. I'm always trying to represent whatever, whatever character I'm playing or potentially playing. And I'm wondering, like, what, how would I dress? What color would my hair be? Like, how much would I care about these different external things or personality things? If I wasn't always selling myself, you know, always selling my personality and my ability yeah. and the way that I look. And it's very confusing. <laughs> and, and, I, and I do at times find it, um, I think, more depressing than other people. But I think maybe that's just happening as I get older, you know, trying not to attach myself to whether or not they say yes or no in the room, which you think after 10 years I would have had that figured out. <laughs> I think people who say they have it figured out, they, they're... They're just pretending. <laughs> yeah, they're better at hiding it from other people. They're uh, better at hiding it. It's very hard. Well, and I, and I think it, it's so fascinating and, and illuminating that when you say you are showing these um, casting directors or producers or whoever it is, you're showing them different versions of yourself. I think that a lot of people on the outside of the industry think, oh, you're going to go in and show them your take on a character rather than showing them a different version of yourself. And obviously that's splitting a very fine line, but I think that shows so much about the process that you go through and I'm sure other performers as well in how you really throw yourself into every character, whether it's for a production, a one night concert, or just an audition. I, I do think, you know, you might hear other methods of people who say, you know, keep yourself separate from it and don't bring in personal experience. Um, I, have had a very interesting entrance into this business. So I didn't spend years in a conservatory or studying, you know, viewpoints or Uta Hagen or all that kind of stuff. So it's just the method that feels the most tangible to me. It's just however manifests within each character. I don't know if that's the right way to do it. <laughs> But that's the method I've chosen. Maybe it's not the healthiest way to do it. Uh, yeah, it's been working for ten years, like you said. And I, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't gonna mention a search for the next L Woods. But is that what your that your entrance into the business? Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, which, which obviously, I'm so lucky to have had the opportunity. I wouldn't be here probably without it. But now, as I get older, again, I 
recognize all the different types of training and experience people got to have going through four years of succeeding and failing in front of your classmates. And instead of succeeding and failing in New York City, you know, they get a little bit of extra time to kind of hone those skills and build a little bit of a thick skin and try out different things. Uh, So sometimes I look back on that and wish I had more of that experience. But of course, everything happens the way it does for a reason. And I probably wouldn't be here if I didn't get my foot in the door of that silly reality show at 18 years old. It was still glorious, as weird and crazy as that show was. <laughs> I still loved every second of it. And and it's fun to see that there are still some of you. I mean, I, I've seen you on stage a number of times now and, and Autumn uh, in a tour in the yeah. tour of, of uh, something rotten recently. And it's, it's nice that we're seeing the successes that we first really... Uh, started rooting for you guys a decade ago and now seeing you continue to plug away and and it's it's fun for us and I'm sure you still have people talking to you about that show and you guys had the reunion concert over the summer I'm sure that was something that you never anticipated doing (laughs) it's crazy at this point it feels uh very surreal like sort of a dream I it's hard to remember a lot of the experience unless I'm like watching the episodes. I'm like, Oh yeah, that happened. (laughs) It feels like a a dream. It it was such a strange, fast and furious thing that happened at such a young age that I don't know that I was like able to fully absorb what was happening to me. And you're probably blocking some of it out too, as well, repressing some memories. And I'm probably blacking some of it out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, coming, coming back to the, the present then you, you talked about kind of missing out on some of that training and not necessarily, I wouldn't even imagine it's as much the, you know, the, the voice training or the acting training, but you know, more of like you said, the, the experiences of going through the ups and downs of what it means to be an actor. What do you do now? What have you done since then to kind of replicate or fill in the gaps um, that you didn't have in college in terms of training? What do you do on a regular basis? Uh, Anything like that? Because I think for a lot of people who don't really understand that actors don't just show up in New York fully formed, they continually work at what they're doing all the time. Well, it's, I always say that like my four years of college were spent on the road. Yeah. And in some ways, the best way to learn is by doing. I got a very hands-on four years of touring, right, before I actually moved to New York City. So I did Legally Blonde, Grease, and Wicked, and then I worked in Vegas. So I got an insane crash course. And at that point, I thought, you know, I, I felt invincible and like I knew everything. <laughs> then I came to New York City and I was like, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I am the ultimate fake it until you make it um, example. It's the best um, way to do it, though. Yeah. Um, w- when I first came here, I definitely did just kind of like a reckless taking any kind of class anyone would recommend, um, which was great and so helpful and enlightening and also very expensive. Um, I've certainly narrowed it down now to the people that I trust and I, and I work with more intimately. So when I do have like a big film and TV thing um, that I really care about, um, which is all of them, but you know, those roles that you're like, this is something that feels so right to me. I do have someone that I work with privately and he'll help me break down the entire script. Um, and it's very helpful. I walk in the room with that person and I'm like, how are you even coming to these conclusions? You're so brilliant. He's such a brilliant man. And it's, it's very helpful in building the character and finding, finding different choices within the sides that I sometimes feel like I can't find on my own. So sometimes you have to reach out and 
find those people who truly know more than you and they can help open a lot of doors. And then, you know, you still have, you know, the talent and the drive that you can um, put that into your work. I also have a voice teacher who I love. Um, and anytime anything comes up that I feel like, Ooh, this is a little hard for me to sing, or I can't hit this note. I show up there. I always walk out. I'm always able to do it. There's nothing I've ever brought him that he hasn't gotten me to sing on the way out the door. So you do have to find the people that um, you really connect with because I know other people have different uh, mentors and teachers. Um, so there's a personal relationship and then there's also the knowledge that they provide. Um, I'm also taking a lot of dance classes right now, <laughs> which is something I never thought I'd be doing. <laughs> um, I grew up doing a little bit of dance, um, but, but not a ton. And I would actually say that's probably the number one thing that's held me back in the business. And, you know, if you've ever seen me perform, you probably wouldn't say, oh, Lauren's a bad dancer. I'm like a completely capable mover who can sell something on stage. But the amount of times I've been in a, a dance call room where I have lost the job in that, in that part of the audition are countless. Wow. Uh, so I'm still working on that all the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would think Legally Blonde and, and Rock of Ages, those aren't shows that had no dancing. I mean, there was obviously quite a bit of dancing in those shows early in your career. Yes. And I've also been, you know, a dance captain on Broadway. So when I say I <laughs> can't dance, people are like, what? And I'm like, yes, my body, like I'm a certified yoga teacher. I have body awareness. I can do the movement, but I cannot do it in an audition room. Like I can't pick it up. It's moving too fast for me. Um, and it's always mortifying. And I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm still mortified every time I get to a dance call. Is it, is it just that it like, like, because you don't maybe have the, the decades of dance training that it takes you a while to pick it up. Is that what it is that you can do it? It's just, it doesn't come yeah. you know, in a snap. It's just, it's, um, it's like muscle. It's a muscle, um, in your, you know, that you have to keep training and honing. And, and the more that you're in dance class, the easier the choreography gets to pick up. Um, just like, you know, if you're not working on your sight reading for a long time or like playing the guitar, it gets harder to, to pick it back up again or to like look at the music and be able to plunk out the notes. Um, yeah, but it's hard going to a dance class too, because it's very humbling. Cause even when I go to a dance class, I'm like a little embarrassed, <laughs> you know, it always takes me a little longer than everyone else. And so even getting there is hard. It's yeah. a very humbling part of the process. Well, it, it sounds like the entire process is humbling. I mean, and that's something that I think a lot of actors, especially during audition season, talk about. But it's something that I don't I, I really don't think that even me who works in the business, but not as a performer, but especially fans, they don't realize how emotionally taxing the business part uh, of it is, let alone when you have to actually e explore the emotions of the character that you're actually playing. Yeah. Like I like I would I'm very grateful for you know my career and the amount of work I've had so far, but totally. it is uh, truly devastating <laughs> on a regular basis to put so much work and money into a five minute audition. I mean, when you do go to these things, when you work with different teachers, it's hundreds of dollars, and then you're renting out a studio and you're working on the songs and. And you show up and it's five minutes long and it's a no. And it's again and again and again and again and again. And it can be devastating. Like if you're not in a grounded, centered place and you're not taking the time to do the self-care and make sure that you have defined your worth outside of what happens in that room, it, it can be a dark time. <laughs> I go through like phases where I'm doing a great job, like meditating and being in yoga and eating healthy and connecting with friends. And I'm able to handle the rejection way better 
And then when the schedule fills up <laughs> and you get a little busy and you're not getting enough sleep and I still take it so hard. I still, the tears still come at this point in my life, 10 years later, it's hard. It's hard not to picture every time you go into an audition, it's hard not to picture the fantasy of booking it. And so you kind of build this, this dream life of like, Oh oh my gosh, if I get this job, then we're going to tour to this city and I'll be able to see that friend there. And for opening night, I want to get, you know, like you just, your brain just does it. And then when you don't get it, it's like a little mini death, like that little life that you had fantasized about for, you know, two days dies again and again and again. And and it's a lot. So you really have to take care of yourself. Yeah. Last question on this, because I want to get back to the the show and some other things, but how do you, how do you get over it? I mean, obviously you said it, it depends on, you know, sometimes it's easier to get over than others, but just on a random generic, no, what do you have to do to get yourself back? Is it, a bottle of wine and, you know, uh, some, something you know, mm. good to eat or, I mean, what, hanging out with friends, what do you do? What's your go-to to get over that stuff? I think, I think it maybe used to be the bottle of wine method. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but I, but I think like you have to acknowledge that it's okay to be sad because like you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't care. So it's okay to experience that mini death and to shed a few tears, but you have to remind yourself that it's temporary. It's so temporary. And in 24 hours, you will feel better. (laughs) It always passes. Um, And, and, and in, and in 48 hours, another audition will come in that you care about. And so it's, it's kind of like avoiding attachment and aversion. Like you don't want to push away the feelings. You don't want to get attached to the idea of the job. You just kind of have to, stay in a state of equanimity. So maybe just the the meditating and the knowing that this too shall pass and everything is temporary. And even if you book it, the show will close, you'll be unemployed again. So just, you know, trying to remember that each one isn't do or die. It's it's more of like mental self-care that I think helps me get over it as opposed to external things. Yeah. Well, we'll get off of that somewhat depressing topic um, a little bit. Um, Sorry. No, no, no. That's, no, it's fascinating because as someone who works closely with actors all the time, but who is not an actor, like the the the, the roller coaster of the life that you have to lead to be in this business is, is always fascinating to me. So I'm sorry for steering you there in one way or another. No, it's fine. Uh, but you mentioned um, We Are the Tigers being um, a, a bit camp. And I have to admit that I... I'm in love with the Cruel Intentions movie. I was in love with the musical, and I think that probably <laughs> probably fits as camp uh, as well. And the album is coming out here uh, in a few weeks uh, for Cruel Intentions, the musical. <laughs> and it just these shows. Obviously, I I'm seeing We Are the Tigers in a couple weeks, but there there is kind of like I said at the beginning that feel like it. We Are the Tigers is kind of a an homage to like a 90s movie. Cruel Intentions obviously is a 90s movie and they're, both of these yeah. shows have the camp level turned up to 11. Um, how is that different when you come from a show that like Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 that's not camp, you do Cruel Intentions and then Ooh. you throw Jesus Christ Superstar Live in the middle of it and then you go back to camp. What is the up and downs of trying to negotiate the types of performing you do from job to job? Well, I, I think it's it's definitely refreshing to move through different uh, tones um, and keep working all of those different muscles. It does get challenging because when you enter a new project and you're coming from 
you know, a different type of energy from the previous project. There just has to be so much communication with like the writer and the director of like what, what tonally they want from it. So even like moving into, we are the tigers, it, it was hard at first to know how far do you want us to take the camp or how grounded do you want it to be? It, it, there's stabbing happening and there's also like <laughs> really touching sad things happening. So just having like an extremely open door of communication with the director and like trying something out and being like, is that too extreme? And then saying like, okay, maybe like ground that a little more, but then like heighten this a little more. You just have to keep the communication open because, because the show can go in any direction, you know, you could take cruel intentions and, and I don't know if you saw it off Broadway, yeah. you could make it dead serious and it could be a different, a totally different show and a different version. I would say the movie is almost a little less camp than our stage version was because the stage version was more of like an homage to the movie and, and sort of laughing on how we took that movie seriously back then, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And if I remember correctly, you were at least in rehearsals for Superstar while you were still doing Cruel Intentions, right? So you <laughs> bouncing back and forth between those two probably was not only physically draining, but trying to get that right crazy. tone. Yeah, well, that's that's insane, right? Yeah, and um, it is crazy. And a lot of people may not have made that choice, but I just know how this business goes. And when it rains, it pours. And when it's dry, it is very dry. So, you know, you'll go months without a job, and every time I book a job, I book another job at the same time. So <laughs> sometimes you're just doing double duty and your brain explodes and you feel crazy while you're doing it. But you just remind yourself like this is abundance and be grateful and just try and be present because it'll be over before you know it. And you'll wish that, you know, you were sprinting to the train to try and make your half hour while you're like dripping in sweat from Camille <laughs> Brown's amazing choreography. Oh. Um <laughs> It was crazy, but it, it was amazing. Well, yeah, and like you said, you know that a, 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 it's a short time, whatever the job is, but especially when it's a one-night-only live televised concert production, it really is over yeah. in a flash. What was that like? You talk about uh, Camille Brown's choreography and all of the... What I love about that show is that obviously they had some very big names at the top with John Legend and Sarah Bareilles who have theater connections in their own right, obviously. But so, I mean, yeah. the ensemble and a lot of the featured performers, they were legit theater people. And that's something we don't often yeah, get yeah. in these live shows. Like, And I loved that about Jesus Christ Superstar Live. Yeah, we. it was funny because like the quote ensemble cast was a cast of people who have all played leads on Broadway. You know, yeah. like they... They, they picked people who really wanted to be there. You know, I mean, I'm happy to take any job anytime. <laughs> so, but you know, a lot of people, it's a lot for them to step down from being a, a Tony nominee or playing, originating a role on Broadway and then dance in the back row of an ensemble of a thing. But everyone was passionate about the work and about working with, you know, the people who were playing the leads and dancing that choreography. Um, it, it, it was an incredible experience. It was so fast. And it was so foreign to me just because I've never done a live show like that and, and worked with the camera angles and worked with, you know, stars of that caliber before. Um, it was yeah. insane. And the coolest part for me, back to the dancing thing, was dancing Camille Brown's choreography. I got to yeah. do a lot of that and really push my body. And she is just like a tiny, quiet ball of thunder. Like, she is so powerful and wise and intelligent and commanding and yet she's so quiet and still and grounded and it's it's it was very impressive and um educating to work with her yeah 
That's awesome. I, I love that show as well. And so I'm glad to hear that it was as exciting of an experience to be a part of as it was to watch as well. But um, we'll we'll wrap up. Let's get get back to We Are the Tiger. So again, obviously, there are certain things about the show that we just can't talk about by the nature of the show. Um, anytime you're involving murders and trying to figure out murders, there's things you don't want to talk about. But from, <laughs> from, from the videos that have been released and the pictures that we've seen, it seems like it's a show that feels f- more fun and bigger uh, than it really is. Like I said, it's a 10 person cast for people who might not, you know, think that a murder, a, a musical about cheerleaders getting murdered is something that really appeals to them, which I guess I can understand, but can you just kind of explain what the tone of this show is? You talked about it being camp, but there being more to it. So if someone comes to see this show in a nice little sentence or two package, can you just explain what that experience is going to be like for the audience? Well, it's kind of like you can't lose because if you like like sitcoms, if you like slasher <laughs> movies, if you like girl rock power anthems, it's all combined in one like perfectly cohesive package. So there's something for everyone who comes to see the show. The comedy is adult and uh, smart. So like everyone's going to laugh at it. It's still appropriate for like younger ages to come see. You get to see special effects and blood. I mean, it's it's a combination of something that everyone will love. So I feel like if you bring someone, they're going to have a great time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. And you can reach out to Broadway Radio on both Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. We will have more information for We Are the Tigers at Theater 80 in the show notes and on BroadwayRadio.com. You can also find Lauren Zachran's social media info there as well. Tell Me More is produced and edited by me. Special thanks to Daniel DeMello and the man without whom none of Broadway radio was possible, James Marino. Thanks again for listening. And remember, I only listen to the sad, sad songs. I'm only happy when it rains. Also, always get a second scoop. And when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more.